Welcome to the Rare Faith Podcast, where the solution to every problem is only an idea away, and where the same activity with just a little more awareness always yields better results. Award-winning, best-selling author, Leslie Householder, brings some of her best information to this inspiring series of life-changing episodes that you won't want to miss. Show notes for this episode can be found at ararekindoffaith.com. Okay, a little bit about me. 
was born at a very young age. I decided when I was probably around 10 or 12, I was the youngest of four children, and my older siblings were just amazing people, and I looked up to them. They weren't always nice to me, but I thought they were pretty cool, and I thought I had it the worst, because I would look in the mirror and I'd think, oh, got this red hair, <laughs> which is not cool in the 70s, all right, you might think it's cool now, it wasn't cool in the 70s. I mean, nowadays, you try to be different to be cool. But back then, if you were even the littlest bit different, you were the target of all persecution. <laughs> and so I decided, and I was telling some people this at dinner tonight, but that when I was looking for a husband, I was looking for someone who was very dark-haired, because I thought that was my best shot at having children with no red hair. <laughs> for their sake because I didn't want them to suffer as I had. But anyway, I decided when I was about 10 or 12 that I would be the sister with personality, because that's all I had that I could, you know, have going for me. But when I married, I had all kinds of dreams for my future. I was gonna have children, I could not wait to be a mom. Just could not wait to be a mom. What did I know about motherhood? Next to nothing. I didn't babysit. Hardly. My family moved around a lot, and at the time I was at babysitting age, we lived overseas. And if you don't speak the language, foreigners don't trust you as much. But, um, so I didn't babysit. I was the youngest. I didn't have cousins that lived nearby, so I had, like, no experience with children. But I couldn't wait to be a monk. And so when I married, we had our first child, and this image of motherhood, you know, we talk about, we talked about dreams and having a vision for your future, right? Nod your heads if that's something we've been talking about, good. So I had visions that motherhood was going to be joyous. And we married. Do I have a clicker? Or do I just say click and somebody pushes <laughs> You know what, we've I can do that. <laughs> we have done that before. Trevor knows how to do that really good. That's my husband. Wave at my husband. Yeah. <laughs> While they're getting that ready, what was I saying? You said, do you have a clicker? Motherhood, <laughs> <laughs> motherhood, motherhood, thank you. Any of you have a new baby brother or sister at home? A few of you? What's that like having a new baby in the home? Just joyous? They take up a lot of attention, don't they? Yes, they do, yeah. It's a lot of waking up at 3 a.m. and then walls. If you get to go to bed at all in the first place. Yes. Right? I have four little siblings that are all from the age of six and oh. 17, so that's an awesome age range. But I've been in the middle of the night with them my entire life, and no, not fun. It's hectic. Everyone screams at each other because the baby's screaming and you yell at each other. So what's this joy they keep talking about? <laughs> <laughs> Whenever they're happy and content, they're actually like really cute. When they are happy and content, they're cute. Is that the payoff? Yeah, well, that's one of the payoffs. It's hard. It's hard. And my mom lived in Ohio and I was in Utah. 
And so my first baby, and I didn't have family nearby, and it was just a little bit of a shock to the system. But on top of that, and many of you are too young to have this to worry about, but we could not afford to live. So we had the bills to worry about also. And I thought, well, okay, I had these dreams of life being joyful, and this is not feeling very joyful. And I slipped into a depression. And I started to wonder, you know, I had been raised to believe that there was a God, and I began to wonder if there really was one, because I felt a little bit abandoned, a lot abandoned. <laughs> and the reason that I'm excited that The Greatest Showman is the theme for this event let me tell you a little bit about why there's a scene in The Greatest Showman. And those, I think you've all seen it now. So at the very beginning, he is putting on that greatest show. And the lights are going and the fire's blasting and the horses are clopping and the girls are spinning. And it's just this big, big deal, right? And then what happens? The fades out and then he's standing in front of like a table shop that's right so he's living this experience and when we're watching the movie we don't know it's not real we don't know it's not real I want you to hold on to that thought for a second because he is living it in full color with all the emotion his head throws back and he's he's interacting with the audience they're just chanting and clapping with him there, just having such a great time, and he feels it all. He feels it all. And then, like she said, it starts to fade away. And he turns around, and now he's this little boy looking at the suit in the window, and his image is just projected onto it. And he kind of snaps out of his dream, and he looks down, and he realizes that he is poor. And then his dad yanks him along. He says, come on, let's go, right? I love that scene, but I wish I could play it backwards. I wish I could play it backwards. Because we all have times in our life where we feel like that little boy. Like, here I am. This is, this is my life. This is what I get to live. It's not what I'm imagining. That's kind of how I felt. My husband and I experienced that kind of those kinds of struggles for about seven years. We had two more children in that time. My second baby that was born, his delivery was so difficult that I feel like by the time he came, I was so snapped and disconnected and angry and I thought I was gonna die and it was, it was really hard. But instead of then bonding with my sweet, sweet newborn, the nurse comes to me and says there's a problem. And, and I'm just kind of out of it a little bit, and, and I sit up and I listen, and she said, he has turned blue, and we don't know why, and so he is in a helicopter on his way to primary children's. And it, still numb, still feeling a little bit out of my head for what I had just been through, and now worrying about him. And then there's medical bills, but he's fine now. He's now strong and 23 years old. But at the time, we didn't know if he was going to make it. He had a heart surgery. We find out at three months old that a child with his condition usually doesn't live past three months old. So that and the stresses that we were already under and the depression, it was just a lot to handle. Seven years of this put me in a place of, have you ever met someone like this? Let me ask you. 
where a little thing goes wrong and they blow up big. <laughs> Do you know anybody like that? I've never been like that. In my situation, I was in an apartment, and we have a picture of this. Okay, clicker man. <laughs> Come in. So, I'm telling you about the hole in my shoe. Okay, that's a metaphor. What's the metaphor about? Yeah. In the movie, he like looks down at his feet, and he like sticks his toe his... Yeah, his feet are sticking out of his shoe. He's got this awful life. So now I'm telling you about the hole in my shoe. And as I'm going through this, I want you to think about the hole in your shoe. What is the hole in your shoe? In fact, take a second, and I want you to identify what the hole in your shoe would be if I were to ask you. And I'm not going to, but I want you to identify what that is. If you can condense it into, like, a few words. Like, something is a certain way in my life that I don't like, or something happened to me that I am still trying to make sense out of, or my relationship with so-and-so is broken and I want to fix. Whatever that hole in your shoe is, think about what that is. So this is when we got married. Oh, someone just went home. <laughs> it's so romantic, right? We'll look at the next slide. Now you know why there's a black cover on the front of it. <laughs> that was our getaway car. But it was paid for. No, actually, it was just given to me. My, my parents let us use that car because we were so desperate for something. And uh, that was a getaway car. We got married in June in Arizona. Uh, June in Arizona. Anybody been there? In June. You're from there. Anybody else from there? Okay, so you know June in Arizona. Probably about 113 degrees. This car did not have AC. Not only that, but if you know how these old cars work, the heater is just a hose that kind of runs over the engine air, and then it gets popped out in the back under the seats to, through this hose so that this hot air comes in. Ours was stuck open in Arizona for our wedding. Um, go back one more time. Back to the, so we're sitting on the outside of the super hot car, but it's romantic, isn't it? <laughs> we really didn't care. We were in love. Alright, so we've been married seven years. We're living in this apartment now. Teeny little thing, there is some grass behind that wall. It's about that big. Like that. <laughs> so we have a grass spot in our front yard. Um, but it was at this apartment that I was just, this is not my life. This is not what I pictured. I had big dreams. I had big dreams. I came outside of this apartment, out that door, I walked around that wall, and noticed that my broom had been broken in half. Some neighbor kid had broken my broom in half and left it on the ground. Now, I asked you if you know somebody who has a little problem that responds bigly, in a big way. If you don't know my story already and want to guess, what did I do? I got angry. Yeah. I did get angry. What did I do? Freaked out. I freaked out. How does that look? What does it look like to freak out if you're me? Very red face yelling. What's that? Very red face, maybe yelling. Red face yelling. Oh no, I was I was calmer than that. Okay. I was gonna say, did you hit someone with the end of the room? No, I called the police. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I called 
Do you know someone like me? <laughs> That's where my head was at. Do you understand that how your life looks tomorrow depends on how you face your challenges today? I didn't really understand that. I was just mad. I was just mad. I didn't have $7 to replace the broom, and that made me mad. I'll tell you a, a, a little thing that sometimes I don't share, but go ahead and click through. Uh, that's another inspiring view <laughs> of our neighborhood. Next. All right, so at this time, my husband and I, we started attending events, kind of like this event, that was giving us, that were, grammar, thank you, that were giving us nuggets of principles and things that would teach us how to think better because we had some friends who saw how I was responding to my challenges and said, you know what, why don't you come with us to these events at my home? And uh, we started attending these. We went to no less than 100 events. And I just wasn't getting it. <laughs> I am kind of thick up here when it comes to emotional problems, all right? So at those events, and I should have said this, but at the events, they kept saying, dream big and picture what you want. Have you heard that before? <laughs> if you're hearing it for seven years, a hundred times, and you haven't changed anything yet, you're like, got it, yeah, so tell me the real secret, right? And the whole time I'm like, yeah, 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 dream big, got it. I know what my dreams are, got it, but what do I do? How do I speak to the prospect? How do I sell this widget? How do I get the better job? How does he get the better job? How do, how do we, you know, tactical, how to do this, do that answers is what I was looking for. And they just kept saying, dream big, picture what you want. <laughs> so at this point in, in that last house, I finally said, fine, I will. I'm gonna go dream big and picture what, you, what I want. I'm gonna go bed. And I'm gonna close my eyes and I'm just gonna, la, 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 la. if I can't be happy in real life, I'm just gonna pretend like I have a home of my own. I'm gonna pretend like we've got enough money for groceries that are decent. There have been times where I've gone to the fridge looking for what I'm gonna feed my kids and have almost nothing but condiments in it. I know what that's like. I also know what it's like, my husband and I before, um, like in the early years, we were custodians at night, and we would go around cleaning office buildings, and sometimes I'd find food in the trash and I'd eat it. This is where we were coming from. And you go long enough, and that really starts to wear on your self-esteem, it wears on your faith, it, wears, it just wears you down. You're not nourished. Nourishment is so important. But we did have hope that one day we'd figure it out. So at that time, I, you know, I'm going to go to bed, I'm going to check out, I'm going to say, fine, I'll just picture what I want. I'm going to see myself in a house. What would that feel like to be in a house of my own? What would it feel like to come home from shopping and open the door and have my kids running up beside me and I've got my arms full of groceries and they run this way and... Oh, and the house is going to have a run around because my mom said that's very important when you're raising kids to have places they can run in circles. And, <laughs> and I'm trying to answer the question, what would that feel like? What would that feel like? Because I could, I could see it, but I had a hard time feeling it.
So I'm going to just pretend like it's real and see if I can feel it.
I mean, you can go to an event, it can be awesome and amazing, but it's rare if hundreds of people are still talking about it months later. That's rare. And uh, it was the boring one that made the difference. So I was just like, how could I miss it? Well, it's because it was boring. I'm going to listen. So we listened, and we came away from that event. I remember he showed us a diagram, and I'm going to show you the diagram. He showed us this diagram, and when we were done, we looked at each other, our mouths dropped open, and we're like, that's all it is? And we went home and tripled our income in three months. After seven years of just beating our heads against the walls, tripled our income in three months, and ended up in, in this home, and I'm living the dream. I'm like, that was so simple. It was so simple. And I finally understood what those speakers were saying all those years, picture what you want, dream big. Okay, well, I can say the same thing to you, and you can be like, yeah, 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 I got it, what do you do? Because I've been there, no way. This is my greatest show. The house, it was awesome. We don't live there now, we've downsized. Those material things are temporary. What matters the most are your relationships. And who remembers what my dream was when I was a kid? We've all forgotten that to be a mom, right? To be a mom and to find those joys that I hear are promised for motherhood. Well, I wanted that. And this is my greatest show now. I told you what my holes in my shoe was, those challenges. This is my greatest show. This is my opening scene of The Greatest Showman. If you were to imagine life in my family, that's my greatest show that I'm singing about. And that's what I feel. I don't struggle with depression the way I did back then because I've learned that I have more control in my thoughts than I thought I did. It's taken 25 years of practice but I saw enough successes along the way that it's kept me going. And that's not to say that there aren't times that we don't need help. We do need help sometimes. But the power of our thoughts are greater than any of us realize. Even now, they are greater than I even understand. And so, uh, next slide. This story wouldn't be complete if I didn't also tell you about Marnie. So, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you some a timeline just to keep my own story straight. In the year 2000 was when we attended that event that was so boring. And that's the, the year that we also tripled our income. That's so long ago. That's before some of you were born, huh? Wow. <laughs> I've said that before. It seems like yesterday. So that was in the year 2000. Well, at the same time, at the same time we were learning these things, I was going through a very, very difficult situation, very hard, very traumatic, trying to forgive someone for something that had happened. And it was consuming me, eating at me. I didn't want to be so angry. I didn't want to be so bitter. I didn't want those feelings, but I couldn't get rid of them. And again, depression. It was about eight years that I suffered with that and periodic counseling and help to get through that. But during that time, when that first happened, I was learning these principles. The contrast between these two experiences happening in my life at the same time. So as I was trying to learn how to forgive so that I could feel better, I was afraid of the internet. 
it was kind of new, and I had heard that you can end up in bad places on the internet, things that you wouldn't want to see, and so I was afraid to go there. But I, it was new, okay? <laughs> but I had already exhausted my church leaders, my friends, my family. I had chalked their ears off trying to work through it, and it, it just wasn't better. And since I felt like I was a burden on everybody else, I thought, okay, I don't know if I'll go to the internet. I'm so scared. And so I thought, okay, where could I go on the internet that I know would be safe? I'll put forgiveness, Christian women, something like that. Because I thought, whatever comes up, it'll probably be clean. So what pops up is a, a website called shelovesgod.com. And I thought, oh, this is interesting. So I start reading articles, and it had a place where you could post your own um, it's kind of like a, if you have a story you want to share, you can post yours or whatever. And I got on their mailing list. And one day I get this email from this website about forgiveness. And I'm like, oh. So I open it up and I'm reading it. And I'm like, I already know all this. I already know all this. I've already tried all this. It's just not working. And so I thought, well, I don't know who owns this site, but maybe I can talk their ear off. <laughs> And so I wrote back and I said, you probably won't have time to read this, but if you, oh, I'd love your insight on, on something. And she wrote back. And this is who it was, Marnie. She wrote back and she said, well, I'd be happy to talk to you if, if I could be of help. And she, and she said, but you probably, you probably figured that I wrote this article because I was struggling with forgiveness too, huh? And I'm like, Never crossed my mind. I was kind of self-consumed with my own problems. I didn't think that maybe she would write that article because she was struggling and trying to learn how to overcome some uh, forgiveness challenges herself. And I, I said, no, actually, I didn't realize that. What's your experience? And she was trying to forgive a situation where she and her husband had worked really, really hard to get out of debt. And then her husband racked up all the credit cards again. And she was just oh, having a hard time forgiving. And I said, well, money problem? I could help you with that, because I just learned these principles, right? Well, she started giving me something else to think about. Notice that. Did my problem go away? My problem wasn't gone, but it gave me something else to focus on. And so I am talking with her and, and sending her stuff in the mail and things that I learned and sharing with her. And she's like, oh, goodness, this is huge. This is, this is amazing. And her websites, she had a few, at the time were making about $2,000 a month. Well, the next month, she's applying these principles. They brought in $4,000 a month. The month after that, it was $8,000. And she's like, Leslie, you have got to write some articles for my readers on these principles. I'm like, I'd be happy to. So for the next eight weeks, I would write about one principle per week and send it to her. And then in October of that year, she's like, and you need to get online and be part of this women's conference. I'm going to teach people what you've learned. And then she's like, well, but then people are going to want to know more about you. You need a website. So she threw up a website for me. And then she's like, and you really ought to write a book. And so we took those articles, turned them into a book, and that became my first book, which was Hidden Treasures, Heaven's Astonishing Help with Your Money Matters. And she had written all kinds of books. She was a romance novelist, clean Christian romances. 
that she would write about. And she had learned how to uh, publish on her own, and she taught me how to publish. And then she started using these principles in other ways. And I'm gonna, I want you to notice these experiences and look for the common thread. Next slide. Because of Marnie, she showed me how to write and market a book, and Jackrabbit Factory became a bestseller thanks to Marnie. Next. And I just want you to notice that what I was looking for was help learning how to forgive. And look where it brought me. It's that law of polarity when things are so, so bad, there's a seed of equal or greater benefit in it. And had I not been seeking for solutions to how to get rid of these angry, angry, awful feelings, looking for a solution to my problems led me to a solution to hers, to be a solution to hers, which led her to be a solution to mine. Now, one of, she lives on a property that's acres, and one thing she really wanted was a fence around her property so she could have horses. But, Trevor, do you remember how many acres it was? Uh, I would I say maybe 20 acres or something. It, it, was, been, yeah. it was very large. And to get a fence on a property like that was very expensive. So she applied the principles. She imagined it. She felt it. And then one day, someone calls her up and says, Hey, Marnie, you've got all this land. If we were to put a fence up on your land, could we board our horses there? <laughs> couple other pictures of her property. It's huge. One day, as she's driving into her property along dirt road, and not just once, but she started imagining gravel on it. Very expensive for the length that it was. Didn't matter. She just imagined it. She imagined it, and when she would drive, she'd be going about five miles an hour because it's bumpy. She would imagine the crackle of the gravel under her tires. And one day, she goes out there, and a quarter of that lane had gravel on it, and she has no idea where it came from. Next day, she goes out, and it's halfway gravel. She finally found out it was a neighbor who sometimes would go to her lane to harvest sod off the sides, and thought since he was using her sod, he would pave her lane for her. Next slide. This house. This is the house on that property. It's very beautiful. We visited that house back in 2002, I think, when we went out to teach, uh, teach some classes for her friends. But she had some rough times. That marriage that she was in ended in divorce, and she married again, and just as her mother was dying, that husband kicked her out and said he wanted a divorce. And so she just felt broken, but she never let go of the dream she had for her property that it would one day hold retreats. Well, as a result of the first divorce, this home went into foreclosure and she lost the home. But she's hung on to her dreams. In the last year or so, she uh, met a man who had dreams of doing retreats and was looking for a property. And he came and bought her property and then asked her to marry him. So she's back in her same house, now doing retreats. Next slide. There he is. This is 20 years later. I think about the, the transformation that she's experienced. We've all seen, as we apply these principles, we've all seen success and we've had failures. 
We've had success, we've had failures, but we've learned that the failures are nothing but seeds for the next success, truly. So are these unique? In the years that we have had our books and as we've been teaching these principles, we've started to collect stories from our readers. And this is some place that you could even come share your stories. You'll see hundreds of success stories as people use these principles. It's not just for a few people, it's for anybody who wants to start to apply them. So how does it happen? Again, like I said, there are natural laws that govern the universe and we align or misalign ourselves with the laws by the way we think. And as we learn them and align with them, things go better. Next. So we're going to see if you can do this. Here we go. I'm going to give you a minute to find the numbers 1 through 60 in sequential order. Ready? Oh, honey, I don't have a second hand. You're going to need to be the guy. <laughs> All right. Four, three, two, one, go. go. Results. 
And he sees me and he's like, what are you doing, Mom? And I'm like, putting an ad in the paper for Charlie. And he's like, and he fell apart. He was mad and he just, he couldn't, he just didn't have enough of me. And so he got on his bike and he just left. He was just broken hearted and he left. And I'm like, I was, nobody cares how I feel, you know. <laughs> and so, I had a bad day, and it sent my son away. How old was he? Do you remember? Maybe 12? <laughs> Nathan? I think he yeah, was about 12. What I didn't know was at that same time, on the other side of the neighborhood, a corner of the neighborhood we don't have reason to go to. My younger son, who at the time was, I think, six, ish, somewhere in there, had been riding his bike and got his pant leg caught in the spokes or in the chain and couldn't get free. So he's on the ground wrestling with his pant leg, can't get out, and he's alone and doesn't have the help he needs. Well, along comes my 12-year-old son, just escaping mom, showing up in a part of the neighborhood that neither one of them ever go to hardly for any reason, he shows up and is able to help his brother home. Every adversity has a seed of equal or greater benefit. Every adversity. Why did I need to have a bad day? If you believe in God or a higher power, I think it's okay that we have bad days sometimes because he can do something good with it. He can do something good with it. So, Think back to that first scene in The Greatest Showman. What if you could see your future, the future you want, with that kind of clarity, with that kind of passion, with that kind of feeling? What if you could do that? Picture a nuclear blast coming out of you and going out and changing the world. And what it does is it, it lines up the things you need Everything starts to get orchestrated for you so that you'll have what you need to accomplish it. Now, I have a, a video I'd like to click over to. You're not going to be able to hear this very well because it, it, there's really no sound, but it's the me mechanism of a jukebox. Do any of you know what a jukebox is? Mm -hmm. Thank you. Okay. So, <laughs> what I want you to notice is before we play this, there's three things I want you to know about this process. Number one is you've got to see it on the screen of your mind. You've got to picture what you want. And I don't mean, okay, maybe you want to have a family, so you see a picture of a family out there. No, I'm saying close your eyes and imagine the family around you and uh, pulling your hair, whatever it's going to be. Be in it, live it. Number two, feel it. Answer the question. How would that feel? Answer the question. The only way you can feel it is if you trick yourself into thinking it's real for just even a few minutes. But number three is don't kick it out. Don't doubt. The greatest showman had giant passion for what he wanted. Giant, huge passion for it. It doesn't have to be that big for it to work. It can be little, like a mustard seed. Teeny tiny. The clue, the key, the key factor is that you just don't have doubt. And I dare you to test it on something this week. And I'm going to have you practice it here in a few minutes. Right here. 
But what this is, this is the inside of a jukebox. And I want you to notice, when she pushes the button, she's making a choice. That's like choosing what you want your future to look like. Choosing something about your future. I asked you what the hole in your shoe was. Can you think of what that was? Raise your hand if you remember what your hole in your shoe is. Okay. Can you think of now what your greatest show is going to be? Raise your hand if you know what that's going to be. Some of you didn't raise your hand. If you haven't decided yet, pick something. Maybe it's being healthy when you're in your 70s. That could be a good one. Okay, so this is a girl that's deciding what she wants. But I want you to notice that with the jukebox, the old-fashioned ones, it takes time for that disc to get in place and start playing. You push the button and it's not instantaneous. Now, I was actually looking for a video of how a jukebox works so that you could think, all right, pushing the button means what you are selecting. Paying the money means feeling. You can think about what you want all day long, but until you feel it, the coin hasn't dropped. Okay? And so now, whenever you think about something, you're pushing the button. When you let yourself feel it, you're dropping the coin. And then the gears start to move. Life's gears start to move. I want you to picture that somewhere in the world, something just moved for you. And if you ever want a reminder of this, go look up jukebox mechanism or something and listen to it again and anchor that. So I want you to notice about, about this one though, because as I was looking for a, good, a video to show you how a jukebox works, she intercepts it before it has a chance to do its thing. She keeps changing her mind. Go ahead. Changed your mind. smartphones, what if it took that long for you to play the song you're trying to get to? <laughs> Push the button. And you're waiting. And you're waiting. And you're waiting. Oh, you changed your mind. Well, it was on its way. So I want you to think about your dreams like that, okay? They're not smartphone instantaneous. They're more like an old-fashioned jukebox. Those gears are turning. You see it, you've made the selection, you feel it, you've paid the money, and it's starting to churn. Things are starting to churn, and as long as you believe that it is, it continues to do so. And every time you take a step towards your dream, it takes a step towards you. I used to think I'd have to go the distance and be the marathon runner, or be the Olympian, or be this superhuman person to achieve something great, and I realized, no, all I have to do is Say it. See it. See it. See it. And don't doubt. Just let it come. Back to our slideshow. Okay. Believe in unseen help. You want to hear another story? A really cool one? Yeah.
so I have a daughter who is serving a mission right now for the LDS Church, and there was another missionary um, some time ago who, he was at an airport. I think he was coming home from his mission. I can't remember what his situation was. All I know is that he was at an airport. And as he's sitting at the airport, he thought, you know, I ought to go plug my phone in to a kiosk somewhere so it can be charging. It wasn't dead yet. It wasn't close to dead. But he thought, go find a kiosk. So he starts walking up and down the, the hallway looking for an open one, but they were all being used. So he kept walking, and it was getting farther and farther away from his terminal, or from his gate. And so finally, he walked far enough and found an open kiosk with, with the plug for, his, for charging his phone. So he plugs it in, and he sits down, and he's just waiting because he's got a delay. And uh, he notices up at the desk nearby that this woman is standing there trying to talk to the clerk and speaking this strange language, but she keeps saying the word Mongolian. And the person at the desk is like, I don't know how to help you. What could, trying to figure it out, gestures and sign language and whatnot, but couldn't figure it out. And he remembered that he had a friend who had served a mission in Mongolia. And so he gets on his phone and um, he calls him up and he says, I think there's someone here that's trying to speak Mongolian, but they can't communicate. Could you maybe help him out? He's like, sure, no problem. So he takes the phone over to the girl and he nudges her gets her attention, and he says, Mongolian. And she picks it up, and she realizes she's got a translator. And so she tells him what the problem is and gives the phone to the, to the agent and is able to get her problem solved. And then she takes the phone back, and she's talking some more, and then she bursts into tears. And he's like, what's going on? She's talking to my friend, and she's now crying. And so she gives the phone back to the owner of the phone, and he gets on there with his friend, and his friend is burst into tears. He's like, dude, what's going on? And it turns out that his friend, who had served in Mongolia, had taught a family out there, and she was in that family. And now she is on at the airport trying to get herself to the missionary training center because she's about to go serve a mission. But she couldn't communicate what are the odds? What are the odds that, number one, he would have this thought to go plug his phone in when he didn't need to, but he did. Unseen help. He goes and plugs in his phone. He's there to help her. And not only that, but it's a really sweet message from the universe that says, dear girl, you are special. You are known. You are important. The help you need is here for you. And in such a sweet way. I mean, I'm sure there's more than just one person in the world that knows Mongolian. But it was the one that was meaningful to her. How does this happen? How does this happen? About cell phones. Has it ever blown your mind to think that you can take your cell phone and punch in a series of numbers and have it ring one specific person somewhere in the world? Let that sink in for a minute. Through the air. Are there cell phone signals flying through the air right now in here? This one's going to someone, that one's going to someone. It's all very specific. All very specific. 
Those cell phones have a unique identifier that when the, the vibrations in the air, or however it works, I don't even know, whenever it hits that cell phone, it makes it buzz. That one doesn't make all the other ones nearby buzz. That one will buzz. So what you want, that vision of what you want to create in your life is like a cell phone. It's unique. The way you design it in your head is very unique. And how do you make it buzz? See it. Everybody, come on. See it. See it. Feel it. Don't, don't, don't doubt it. See it, feel it, don't doubt it. When you do, when you see it and you feel it, you just made something buzz. You made something buzz in the world that is unique and needed for you to accomplish that purpose. Next time you face a dilemma, okay, try this one. Next time you're at school and you need to come up with something for a project or you need to answer a question or you need to understand how something works, a math problem or whatever, okay, this can help with your learning too. Imagine how it would feel to understand it. You don't have to understand it, but imagine how it would feel if you did. Do you think that changes something in you? It does. It brings your awareness up. Did you know that the solution to every problem, math or life, the solution to every problem is only an idea away? Think about it. The solution to every problem is only an idea away. The cure for cancer is only an idea away. How to get that job that pays what you need it to pay is only an idea away. It might be, uh, go flip this page open to see what that classified evidence says. Or maybe go do this search on the internet that you didn't think to do before. It's only an idea away. And if you didn't think that was mind-blowing, that idea is already in this room like a radio broadcast, like a cell phone signal. It's already there. It's already there. You are like a radio. What's your favorite kind of music, somebody? Raise your hand. Yeah. Country. Country. What's your favorite? Country or pop, yeah. Rap. Awesome. Everybody's got their favorite. So is rap in this room right now? No, probably not. Okay. <laughs> now, what do I mean by that? What do I mean by that? It being in this room. Someone probably thinking of wrapping their head. Thinking of wrapping their head. What if I had a radio? Okay, the old-fashioned kind of radio, like like what's in your car, all right? There's a radio in this room. I have one right here, and I turn it on to what's a station in Canab? Anybody know? What is it? 99.9. What kind of music is that? Country. So I'm going to tune the station to 99.9. And I turn it on and I turn up the volume. What are we going to hear? Country. Country. Where was the country music before I turned on the radio? Same place it was before you turned it on. Right, which is where? In the room. It's in the room. Who's seen Willy Wonka? <laughs> you remember when she get through the kid gets put through the TV waves? <laughs> Those
right now is country music, and the radio just makes it audible. That radio didn't suck music into the room. It didn't have to download it. It didn't have to download anything. What are you feeling? This is so crazy. Like, it's always there, but you just, like, press a button and you can hear it. But... Oh! <laughs> okay, I know. I know. <laughs> like, on the computer, you can search up anything. And you can play any type of anything, any sound you want from that computer. It is there this entire time. But just what we are typing in and pressing the button is making it audible. That's so crazy. Yeah, and you know, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Smartphone and you download a song. That's a file that is on the phone, right? That's a file. But with the radio, have you ever opened up a radio? No. There is no hard drive in a radio. There is no hard drive in a radio. There's some electronics that just picks up on this stuff that's going on in the air right now. It just makes it audible. Okay, here's this. I wasn't going to share this. I'll be quick. <laughs> you guys think you have it so cool with technology nowadays. I'm telling you what, what we had in the 70s would have blown your mind, okay? I have this clicker. <laughs> A television clicker. First of all, our television had seven stations. Seven. And the TV dot, the T, dial, okay, what's a dial? The TV did not have buttons. It had a dial, a thing you would twist, kind of like your, maybe your washing machine at home, I don't know. You would twist it, and you'd hear it go click, 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 depending on which number it was pointing at, okay? And so if you wanted channel three, you would turn the dial till it pointed at the three. And somehow, you know, had those bunny ears, those rabbit ears, <laughs> on top of the TV that was picking up on what? These things going through the air. But this clicker. Okay, so we had, I had this silver, silver rectangular tube clicker. It had a black button on the top that was fully mechanical, not even electronic. Mechanical. <laughs> boom, boom. Boom, boom. <laughs> and I thought, and in the front, it had this mesh metal screen, so you could totally see what was inside. And I looked inside, and there was this metal... Are you looking for a picture of it, Trevor? <laughs> this metal rod. Get this. Oh my gosh, this still blows my mind today. I thought, I want to know how this thing works, this thing works, because what I would do is I would push that button, go, go, and the TV channel would go, what? It wasn't even electronic. It would just, the dial would twist every time I pushed that button. And that's how I would select my channels by how many times I click it. It would just keep going around and around and around. <laughs> no batteries needed. No batteries. No batteries. And so I opened it up one time. How? What voodoo is this? <laughs> and I opened it up, and oh, I wish I had prepared. I had not planned on telling you this, but I took the top off, and inside, here 
here's the here's the lowercase. And in the middle was like a a little miniature wall. That's not it. <laughs> Closer than what they're used to, though. I'll I keep, have I'll keep looking before on Google. I know it's there somewhere. Yeah. Um, so it had this. Oh gosh. A little wall halfway in the middle of this channel, right? Channel meaning like a boat. It was like a boat. In the middle of the boat was this little wall. In the wall was a notch. On the notch was a metal rod, and there was a spring. And I would push the button, and the spring would make the rod go. It would just kind of like zap the, the not zap. It would like like a percussion instrument. Just hit. It would hit the rod. And by hitting the rod, that rod would send some kind of invisible signal to the TV, and the turn thing would go to. I haven't found one. I have found it before. I will find it. <laughs> it was a zenith. I do remember that. <laughs> oh, 70s will do that. 1970s. Images. Can you see what I'm looking for? Not yet. No, there it is. That's the one. Okay, pull it up. Oh, don't tell me it's a Pinterest thing. I can never find the image I was looking for on Pinterest. Oh, there it is. You see that? Top left. This one. That's it. Pinterest is my nemesis. <laughs> yeah. Okay, wait, so would that thing work with just your TV or would it work with any TV? Mm -hmm. Any Zenith TV. The old kind that were designed for it. Yeah. Not the new. I don't really understand how it worked, but it had something to do with the size of the rod that it, and what it was made of would. Physics. It was physics. <laughs> yeah. Wait, so if you found like a like a TV like a ZDV and that one like like a hooker like that mm -hmm. now, like would it do you think it's not today's Zenith, but the one if we found two old vintage ones. Yeah, it would still work. No, you'd have to point it at it to make the wave go at it. Yeah. Wait, we used to point it at ourselves, like wonder what this is doing. <laughs> I'm going to find a picture of the inside of it because really there's nothing to it. It was just that wall and a spring and the rod balancing on the wall. Crazy. Craziness. So, if a rod can do that, do you think your brain could do something? <laughs> What's that? With, with the right, as according to uh, Gilligan, I saw that episode with the right dental work you can get radio stations. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so. Um, 
Let's see what the slides say. <laughs> okay, all right, so what this is, this is about believing in something that hasn't happened yet, believing in something you can't see with your physical eyes, okay? This quote, I love this quote. Um, Boy K. Packer said that there are two kinds of faith. One of them functions ordinarily in the life of every soul. It is the kind of faith born by experience. It gives us certainty that a new day will dawn. It is the kind of faith that relates us with confidence to that which is scheduled to happen. We're all familiar with that kind of faith. You believe you're going to see your family soon when the retreat's over, right? But there is another kind of faith, rare indeed. This is why I call my blog Rare Faith. Rarefaith.org. Um, that's where you'll see a lot of stories. I, sh I share a lot of my crazy mom stories there. I talk about Charlie and almost selling him, which, anyway, and also, <laughs> if we have time, will someone remind me to tell you the spider story? That's uh -huh. one of my favorites, favorites. Okay, so there's another kind of faith, rare indeed. This is the kind of faith that causes things to happen. Quicker, right? It is the kind of faith that calls forth things that otherwise would not be. Do you think this retreat would have been created if Randy hadn't put some of this and some of this into it? And what if he had doubted? Would you be here? Thank you, Randy, for not doubting. like everything opposite of what you decided you wanted. Okay, in that moment, you might doubt. And that's human. But here's what, here's what you do next. Either you're going to say, oh man, I doubted, so it's not going to work. Or you say, oh man, I doubted. Well, that was a hiccup. I believe it's still on its way. <laughs> I do that. I'm human, and sometimes I have my bad days. And you know what? On those doubting days, you can just say, you know, thank you for this hard day because it helps me know a good one when I get it. You can flip anything around. You can flip anything around. Back to the quote. It is the kind of faith that calls for things that otherwise would not be. It is the kind of faith that sometimes moves people. What about that guy at the airport? Looking for a place to plug in his phone. Something new, he had a solution for that girl. Something new. And moved him. It's the kind of faith that sometimes moves things. It comes by gradual growth. It is a marvelous, even a transcendent power. A power as real and as invisible as electricity or a mechanical clicker. Directed and channeled, it has great effect. So, the significant problems we, we face in life, this is by Einstein, cannot be solved at the same level of thinking we were at when we created them. Oh, wait a second, what did he just say? Now, I'm not going to say we create our own problems, but sometimes we do. Sometimes we do. Sometimes we're in a mess, and we try to solve that problem without first 
Sometimes we're spending all kinds of time seeing where, we're, where we are right now and the things we hate about it and feeling very upset about where we're at right now. What does that do? What could that do? Is that connected to like the hole in the shoe thing that you were talking about? Oh, the hole in the shoe? Yes. yes. Either, thank you for bringing that back. I meant to bring that back. Either we're spending our time thinking about our shoe, the hole in the shoe, or we're dreaming about where we're going. Either or. Yeah. It kind of like reminds me of the law of attraction, like what you focus on, what you're going to like attract to yourself. So if you're just focusing on the negative things in your life, like that's all that's going to come to you. But if you focus on the positive. Absolutely. Absolutely. And if what you're doing isn't helping, isn't changing things, maybe you're trying to change something about your life. And every time you try, it just doesn't work. It could be because you're trying to solve it on a radio broadcast of ideas that just gets you more of that. Instead, if you take a minute to see and feel something up here instead, you tune your little radio station up to 103.4. And suddenly, suddenly, you get different ideas on how to solve it than what you were getting on 99.9. Basically, we are, okay, how many of you have had chemistry, a chemistry class? All right, what, if we could look at atoms and molecules under a microscope, would they be just like this? What would they be doing? They're just buzzing, they're making all kinds of motion. They're bumping around. And it's through atoms and molecules that signals are transferred as they bump into each other, okay? And so, we are made up of atoms and molecules too, right? And so on a molecular level, we are vibrating. And as we change what we see and what we feel, we change our vibration. Have you ever gone into a room and just known that person was angry without them even saying a word? He's like, well, what's wrong? You're like, nothing's wrong. Well, the dog knows something's wrong. <laughs> you can say one thing. You can tell someone a lie. Words are noise, but vibrations never lie. They never lie. If you want to know, how's your vibration? What is your vibration? Whatever you think and feel most often, is going to control that vibration. And depending on what you think and feel most often, is going to emanate like that nuclear blast. It's going to do this out in the world, and it's going to make something buzz that resonates with your vision. So that when you're walking down the hallway at school, and you've got this idea for a club that's going to help someone, we're going to make a club that is a, maybe a sit with us at lunch club kind of a thing. Something that helps inspire or uplift others who are struggling. Maybe that's your idea. And you need to find someone who will help you do this while you're walking down the hallway. What's going to determine if you happen to smile and say hi at that person passing by or not? It might be how they're vibrating. It might be how you're vibrating and whether or not there's a vibratory match. We want to be scientific about it. Okay, so you see this guy, he's got a problem. He was he's trying to put something in that circle hole, but all he's got is a square and a, and a triangle, a pyramid. 
His solution is up on a whole different level of thinking. If you were him, how would you come up with that idea? I've never asked this before. Yeah. Climb. Okay, these are levels of thinking. How are we going to climb? <laughs> it's a great idea, though. That is a great idea. You know what? I'm going to ask you something. What would it look like if this problem were solved? He would have that in his hand, like the circle thing in his hand. In his hand? Or where would it be if it's totally solved? On the other side of the thing. On the other side? Okay, yeah, or if he's trying, I never thought if we're trying to push something through or make a wall. I'm going to say, let's say we're making a wall. So if his problem were solved, he would have a solid wall. So what is he going to picture on the screen of his mind? Everybody. Solid, solid wall. wall. Solid wall. And what's he going to feel? Solid, 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 solid. What does that mean, to feel a solid wall? <laughs> Step back 
chills. Yeah. And it's like once you take a step back from the problem that you're having, you're able to see the solution and really imagine it within yourself instead of dwelling on the fact that you have the problem. And it really just reminded me of that. Do you guys see how powerful you are? Do you realize? Do you realize how powerful you are? I, I had a word come to my brain this week. And I've been chewing on it a little bit. You know, I've been telling people for years, see it and feel it. But you say it enough and it starts to sound just as cliche as dream big picture what you want. It just starts to sound the same. And so this word came to my mind. I want you to take a minute, close your eyes, imagine yourself outside under the stars, somewhere out away from the city so there's no light pollution. And it's a clear sky, and there's no moon, so the stars are brilliant, and you can see the Milky Way. And you're laying on your back, and you're looking up at all of this, and you realize, wait a minute, the Milky Way, that's just looking at our galaxy from the side. You know what a galaxy looks like, it's a spiral. And we are on that spiral. We're on a planet, on one of the outer rings of that spiral. And as we look at the Milky Way, we're just looking at the sideways view of that spiral. How can you try to comprehend the size of that Milky Way, of that galaxy that we are in? Can you comprehend how giant it is when you look at it that every one of those is a sun. Like our sun. Some bigger, some smaller. But the Milky Way is just full of giant suns. Have a hard time finding words for this, but open your eyes for a second. What does it mean? How do you know when you've comprehended it just a little? This is a hard question. How do you know in yourself that Okay, I'm trying to comprehend this. What has changed when suddenly you say, oh, I, I almost got it. I almost comprehended that. This is a hard question. I'm not sure what the answer is supposed to sound like, but I kind of have a concept. Yeah. I feel like you just have this feeling inside of you. It connects. It's like this vibration, I guess. Bam! She says you have this feeling inside of you that, that just connects. So you've got this concept of the Milky Way. And you see it every night. It's out there every night. But you take a minute to look at it and let it sink in how small we are and how big and beautiful the universe is and how someone like me could have unseen help. Just even trying to comprehend the galaxy when you have that connection in that moment, you have this feeling, there's a feeling there. That's what I'm talking about. To think or to see on the screen of your mind is number one. Number two, another word for feeling is to comprehend. To comprehend. Or to ask you to comprehend what it's going to be like to live that life you're, you're creating. What's that going to feel like? When you take the time to comprehend it, a feeling will come over you. And you'll have that connection. And that's dropping the coin in the jukebox. Does that make sense? Yeah.
If you, if your subconscious mind hears something often enough, it will start to believe it, and then you'll feel it. So that's a trick. But so with my daughter, I uh, I took her through this exercise to try to imagine what it would be like to have friends in orchestra, and she was willing to give it a try. And so she went to the class that next day, and she was nervous, and being having thought of it seeing it done, and feeling what it would feel like, she had a new thought. Not surprising, it will give you a new thought. You're tuning your station to a different broadcast of ideas that are already in this room. And uh, the thought was to go sit in a different chair than she normally sits in. She's usually over in the corner. And so she uh, went to the classroom, and she saw the chair that she thought she should sit in instead, and then chickened out, and went and sat in her regular chair. Does that ever happen? Do we ever chicken out? Of course. So she sat in her chair, and she's like, oh. And then she sees a spider on her stand. She's like, oh, ah. And she brushes it off, and it flies this way. <laughs> and it lands on her somewhere, and she doesn't know where, so she jumps up, and she's freaking out, and she doesn't know where it went. And so she thought it might be safer to go sit in that chair that she originally <laughs> belonged in. And so when I picked her, oh, and by the way, she's sitting there. In comes two other girls, and they flank her on either side. And when I picked her up that day, she came outside. She says, Mom, Mom, it worked. It worked. I mean, kind of. It did, but it did. And, and she says, I just didn't think that God would answer my prayer with a spider. <laughs> think about that. What's the spider in your life? I know we had talked at dinner. Uh, Randy shared with us more about why he does, why he created this organization. There was a spider in his life that moved him too. Can we be grateful for the spiders in our life? They move us. Every one of them, every single spider in our life moves us. And that is why we can be grateful for them. Because as long as you have had or choose to have an image on the screen of your mind and have allowed yourself to comprehend and feel what that might be like, then every spider in your life is moving you to that vision. So can you be grateful for things when they go backwards instead of forwards, when things get worse before they get better? I'm going to end with one, two, uh, there's a slide coming up and we're just going to find it. I'm going to have you click through until we find it. Um, keep going. Going, going, oh, right in the eye. Um, wait, go back to that one real quick. Just a reminder, which one gets your energy, the hole in your shoe or the dream in your head? Next one. Okay, so this is it. This is how your thoughts affect your future. Your life conditions are that orange line. Maybe sometimes it feels like they're going downhill. And if your thoughts are constantly looking at how they're going downhill without intercepting it, giving it something else to think about, then your life is going to continue to follow those thoughts. But look at this next slide. This is what you're doing when you're dreaming. You're allowing yourself, your life conditions might stink for a while, and they might even get worse for a while. But if you are persistent on the screen of your mind and in your heart with where you're going, and it is your choice, it is your choice what you do with your life. You take the time to write down 
what that last day of your life is going to look like and how you're going to feel, I am so amazed and grateful that I accomplished and list everything that you want to accomplish in your life and write it as though it's already happened. Write it as though it's already happened. Eventually, your life is going to start to respond because what's going on between there and there, the jukebox is broken. And you're just waiting for it to catch up. So, with that, I just encourage you all to keep dreaming, keep believing, look at the spiders in your life and be grateful for them. Pay attention to where they move you and make sure that where your life is taking you is where you chose for it to take you. This concludes today's episode of the Rare Faith Podcast. You've been listening to Leslie Householder, author of The Jackrabbit Factor, Portal to Genius, and Hidden Treasures, Heaven's Astonishing Help with Your Money Matters. All three books can be downloaded free at a rarekindoffaith.com. So tell your friends and join Leslie again next time as she goes even deeper into the principles that will help you change your life.